Amen. Come on, let's thank God, man. I just, it's all about God ministering to people. Amen. That's what this is about. Pastor Brad obviously is still not feeling well, so please be praying for him and continue to pray for him. Uh, he's having a rough time. We don't, he and I don't do sickness well. Uh, we don't like being sick at all, and we're not sick that often, so it's new territory for us like that. But uh, he's been here pretty hard, but we know that God is still greater. And uh, he's going to be back and be back strong and well. But he, uh, he sent me a little note yesterday as I was checking on him, and he said, can you go ahead from chapter 2 to chapter 3 in Romans? And I said, sure. Because to me, chapter 3 of the book of Romans, and I've said this for like 20 years, so it's really, really true today. But if there's a chapter in the Bible that speaks to us as a church and as a nation, uh, any, any chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 3 does. And so I want us to look at that tonight, and we're just going to go through it like we did last month. And so get your Bible out, if you will, and we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. They'll be having it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Last month, we talked to you about, in Romans chapter 2, that God is a God of righteous judgment. We found out that the Jews who looked at themselves as uh, special, and they were special, but they weren't exempt. That's where we have to really, because how many feel special tonight? I'm special, you're special, but we're not exempt. That the Jews consider themselves exempt from any of God's judgment or any of God's wrath or any of God's rules or guidelines just simply because they were Jews and found out that the Jews were as guilty as the Gentiles, that God saw no difference between the two. And then we closed out where circumcision was no, no avail to the Jews. It was an ordinance that they did in their body that they felt like made them into a place or took them into a place of spirituality. And God would come in there, and the Apostle Paul did, uh, to the church of Rome, and he began to speak to the Jews there and said, circumcision does not make you this spiritual being out there. It's not about the circumcision of your body. God said, I want the circumcision of your heart. And we ended with that, and we're going to come right back into that now in chapter 3, verse 1, where he speaks and he says, and the Jews are speaking here, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is it to profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed to the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And I want us to look at this for a moment because they're saying, well, okay, if that's true now, if circumcision of the flesh is not going to do anything for us or it doesn't do anything in our spiritual realm, what profits that? And then they come in and says, well, what, what if some of the Jews now, because of this new teaching, they don't believe, does that disqualify the promises and the oracles of God? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Is their unbelief going to make your promises no longer work? And God comes in and he says something very, very powerful and I want us to get this today because there's a message that we have to get back into the church. He's speaking a word to us today 
in the church. How many still believes that the church of God, Jesus through his body, is the only answer for the world? It's us, Christ, alive in us. And so they said, okay, we, we get what you're saying, but what if some of the Jews aren't so perfect? What if some of the body messes up? If some of us mess up, does that mean God's going to walk away and take his promises with him? And it leaves the rest of us out here to try to make it on our own? And God comes in and he speaks immediately to that challenge. And he says, let God be true and every man a liar. For it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak. And you may prevail when you judge. Listen, the church has lost its voice in a godless society. Doc, get an amen on that. There used to be a respect for the word of God and the voice of God in a society that even was dark and ungodless. But today, it's lost that respect. And the reason that is, we sound just like them. We cuss like they do. We fornicate with them. They know we're in church raising our hands on Sunday morning, but we were in the bar with them Friday night stoned. The amens are decreasing quickly. But what was he saying? They said, listen to what's being said here. This is powerful. How many wants to be effective in your Christian journey and making a true difference in the lives of other people? And God comes in and they said, Father, there's some of us don't get it. And there's some of our brothers over here. They're not going to be obedient to what you're saying. Are you going to walk away and not be faithful to us? And God said, no, no. He said, let God be true and every man a liar. It is written so that. He said, no, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be true to my promises to you, the faithful, so that you may be proved right when you speak. You don't have to defend what you're saying. The Word defends it for you. You don't have to give a full explanation of your understanding. The Word speaks the truth for you. And he says here that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Listen today. Acceptance and approval of people's lifestyle that goes against the Word of God embraces them, but it doesn't set them free. I'm going to say that again. I know it's going to be quiet in here tonight. I'm going to teach. Pastor Brad will be back. But I'm going to speak some truth to you tonight because I believe God's called Transformation Church to be more than just a church. I believe he's called us to be a lighthouse. I believe he's called us to be a hospital. I believe he's called us to be a freedom center. I believe he's called us to be a place where we're going to only just have people come and come to church but they're going to come and see their lives changed and transformed by the power of the gospel being declared through God's people. You and I, not just a sermon on a Sunday morning, but in a small group on a Tuesday night or at a bowling alley somewhere, somewhere the word of God is going to come alive through you and I, and God said, I'm going to defend my word. My word's going to have power when you speak it, and when you bring judgment, it's not going to be a judgment to condemn. It's going to be a judgment to set free. 
and to deliver people from their bondage. But listen today, I believe we must love everybody. We do. That's what makes this church who we are. But we have to understand acceptance and approval of people's lifestyle. It embraces them, but it doesn't set them free. Freedom comes through truth that's clothed in grace. Jesus, the Bible said, was truth and grace. Truth without grace is a law that nobody can live. Grace without truth is a life that has no boundaries. It has nothing that I go by, right or wrong. Evil's called good, good's called evil because there's no truth, it's all grace. But when I put truth and clothe it in grace, Whosoever will, let him come. Red, yellow, black, white, godly, ungodly. This lifestyle, that lifestyle, whatever. Whosoever will, let him come. Because he's welcome to be part of the family. You can belong before you believe. And we're going to embrace you. We're going to love you. But we're also going to tell you the truth. Because the truth sets you free. And Jesus said, though there's some in the church that's going to fall away, don't you quit standing. Don't you quit telling the truth. Don't you quit loving and grace. Don't you stop ministering to people because I'm going to keep my promises. And I'm going to declare, I'm going to cover your words. They're going to be powerful. And when you speak truth to people, they're not going to take it offensive. They're going to take it as freedom. God. Come on, you're with me. And today he's speaking through the Apostle Paul to us, the church today, saying we're living in a society today that is godless, that has no boundaries. No boundaries. This Bible is very clear on sexuality. It's very clear on marriage. It's very clear on love. It's very clear on every aspect of our life. And we're only going to set people free when we come back to the Scripture and we speak the Word of God with love. Kathy and I, we hosted a freedom group in our home. One of the couples that came there is a lesbian couple. This is their church. And they came there, and they, they're married. They've got the rings, the whole deal. And they came every week, and we talked with them, and, and it got on that topic. And they asked completely, they said, We're, we, we feel in our heart, this is how God created us. And they asked me, what's, what's your opinion? I said, I don't want to tell you my opinion, but let's talk Scripture. And I got the Bible out, and I went through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, and I explained to them, this is what the Word of God says. Now, what you do with this is between you and Him. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pastor you. You are welcome in my home any day you want. You're, you know, we embrace them, but we didn't embrace them to just have them. We embrace them to help God set them free. Are you with me? And so we have to come and understand that God's saying, come on, church, quit being silent. Don't let darkness silence you. Let darkness make you want to speak truth covered in grace, and I've got your back. That's what he's saying. Are you all with me? He's saying, I've got your back. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to cover you when you speak, and I've got you when you judge. Because your judgment's not to condemn, your judgment's to bring freedom, to bring hope. Okay, you with me? Boy, I stayed a while there, didn't I?
But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, now here's how crazy they get. Well, when the devil starts speaking and warping your thoughts, you come out with some crazy doctrine, right? But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? I'll explain this. And why not say, would let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported that as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. What they're saying is this. If God's righteousness is shown by our wickedness, then why don't we become more wicked so he can look more righteous? Now, does that have no logic at all to anybody besides me? But that's what they believed. And we live in a society today in the church that believes it too. Sad to say. One of my great closest friends in ministry and in life was asked to go with a religious group that writes the vast majority of children's curriculum for our churches across America today. They asked him to go and do teaching on Israel because he's very involved in Israel, and, and he went. And he called me. We talked from Israel. And he was like, Brother Dent, you got to pray for me before I go berserk over here. I'm going berserk. He said, I was asked to come and speak to these people. He said, when we got here, they got the hard liquor out. He said, they're sleeping with each other's wives. He said, there's fornication rampant here. And these are the people that write the largest amount of children's curriculum in our churches today. And he said, I met with the guy that's over the group. And he said, oh, we don't believe that Bible stuff. We just write the curriculum. That's, I'm telling you, he said, I'm, I'm lost here. He said, I want to hurt people. <laughs> you know, he was angry in the spirit realm. He was like, this is crazy. But that's what they're saying there. They're going, let's justify our darkness by declaring it his light. That the more wicked I become, the brighter his righteousness shines. And then God comes in. And he speaks. Are y'all with me? What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Listen to this last verse. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God 
before their eyes. We have a ministry called Pastor to Pastor that we run and we're getting ready. To, we're moving more and more into it on a really a full-time basis. Pastor Brad and I and Pastor Justin, we're working on this because there's such a cry of pastors right now. I'm working with 14 pastors right now in different states that are going through horrible times, some moral failure. But I can't tell you the number of pastors that I've sat down with that were in moral failure. And the question comes up or the statement has come up in almost every one, Pastor Dan, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how I went from this to this. And every time I said, I do, I, I know how it happened. How did it happen, Pastor Dan? You lost the fear of God. You lost the fear of God. You lost the awesomeness, the majesty. You lost the sight of who God really is. Not to judge you, but when you lose the fear of someone, you lose the respect of them. And when you lose the respect of them, you lose the respect of their word. And when you lose the respect of your word, then it has no meaning in your life. There's no boundaries now. There's no guidelines. There's no truth. It's all grace. So I feel like as long as the hammer didn't come down, God's okay with it. I'm getting by. And he said, just because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the sons of men have set in their heart to do evil. Because God didn't bring the hammer down, it's okay. I got by. I said, no, there is that day coming, but I'm giving you a time of grace. How many thankful for that period of grace? And he's saying here, and if you read all of that and you stop, and I don't have the time to dissect what every one of those sentences mean, but they totally, totally, totally represent our society today in every way. And then God sums it up at the end, for there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The Scripture says that there's a day coming, and we're right in the middle of it, that they will call good evil and evil good. The hearts of men, the scriptures tells us, is going to what? Grow worse. Let me give you a little secret. God did not call the church to remove sin off of the earth. He called us to be a light in the middle of it. Did you hear what I said? God did not call us to remove darkness from the earth. It's not going to happen. The Bible said it's going to get darker and darker more wicked, more wicked, more evil, more evil. Now, I know that's not encouraging words to you tonight, but we're okay because we're part of the kingdom. We're part of the solution. We're part of the answer. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I get to be a part of the answer. I get to be a part of the solution to lost mankind. I, I get to be a part of bringing someone out of a lifestyle of bondage and sin and help walk them into a place of freedom. I, I get to be a part of praying for someone that feels like nobody cares and, and it's just a simple prayer. I get to buy a meal for somebody hungry that didn't think they had a friend but God sent them somebody that day. I get to be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God on this earth. It's God 
going to get worse out there, folks. But the worse it gets out there, the greater mine and your light gets to shine in the midst of it. God did not call us to remove sin. He called us to be a light in the middle of that darkness and draw lost man unto him. I pulled into my subdivision the other day and I pulled right around the curve and there was this, happened to be a black man. He was a black man. We have many military, we have a very multicultural neighborhood. But this black man was there on a bicycle and had a big old garbage can strapped to it and he was digging through some stuff somebody had put out by the road. And I drove by him and the Holy Spirit said, go back. So I went around the block, came back. He was still digging and I pulled up in my truck and he turned around immediately, went defensive. He said, sir, I'm not robbing nobody. I ain't stealing nothing that was out here. And, and the truck, I said, man, it's cool, it's cool. I said, I never tell him I'm a preacher. I said, my son's a pastor of a local church. <laughs> if you tell him you're a preacher, walls go up. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh boy, preacher here, we're in trouble. So I just said, my son's a pastor of a local church. And I said, I, I drove by you, but I felt like God told me to come back to you. I said, what's up? And he told me a story that uh, he had got into alcohol, he lost his job, his wife and kids left him. He's been homeless now for three years. He's living in the woods back behind the ball field. And he said, I was driving around these the subdivisions, finding some stuff to sell, you know, some metals and, and things to sell. And I said, okay. So I got out of my truck, and I'm there talking to him. And I noticed some of the neighbors were coming out their doors, you know, looking too. And uh, got to talk to him. Very quick story. And I'm saying this for a reason. Uh, I, I gave him some money and uh, prayed with him, and I said, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in divine appointments, and I believe that God had a divine appointment with you today to send you a pastor's father. Now, when he visits this church, he's going to get a shock when y'all go, Pastor Dan, you know, I love that. I, a lot of my customers attend here now, and they didn't know I was a pastor until they came here, and they went, you didn't tell me you was a pastor too, and I went, didn't want to, then you would have treated me different, and uh and so I, I said, my son's a pastor. I said, I want to pray with you. I want to bless you with something that God's blessed me with. And I gave him some money. And before I finished praying with this guy, three neighbors had come out going, what's up? What's going on? I introduced him to them and shared a little bit of the story. Some of them had it on them. Some went in their house, and they came and gave him money too. This dude got blessed. I'm telling you, he got blessed, blessed. He ain't never going to find enough Coke cans to get what he got that day from a group of neighbors, but he got more than some money. He got a word. He felt loved. I went back. I know where he's staying in the woods now. We're fixing to put him to work. And he's going to start helping put some fences up and make some money. And I believe God's going to have him as part of our church family here before long. Now, that's just one man. But when we get to heaven, that one man is going to be worth it. Because one man's not in eternity in hell, he's in eternity in heaven. And I just want to challenge you today that we understand that it's not going to get better. Quit trying to fix the world and start fixing people. Stop trying to fix all the problems in society because we can't. They're going to get worse. When we come and we, we look at this, Listen to the words and attitudes and actions of Christians today and we can agree with these scriptures that there's not one righteous, no, not one. Listen on social media, the Christians talking, fighting one another, attacking one another, arguing with each other. The world's watching all of that. And then we want to know, why don't they come to our church? Why would they if that's what they see? But when they hear words of life that God's saying, if you're walking with me in righteousness, your words are going to be covered by my spirit. 
Your judgment is going to be covered by my truth. We must come and understand hatred and racism and bigotry and injustice. It didn't start with blacks and whites. It started with Jesus on a cross. That's where bigotry started. That's where racism started. What was the cry when Jesus was on the cross? What did they say? Hail, King of the Jews. And they hated him because of his nationality and what he represented as a Jew. And from that moment, the Jews have faced the most hostile bigotry, hatred, racism of any group of people in the world. And it has intensified since Jesus hung on that cross. It's not going to go away, folks. It's not going to change for the people of Israel, but they've had God's protection up to now, and they'll have his covering until he comes back. And I want to say, no matter whether it's black, white, whatever, we are not going to fix the social issues of our society. We've got to start fixing the people that are involved in the social issues of our society. And when we reach the people, then the issues begin to get resolved. And we've got to come and realize today that we're not going to remove the darkness. And this is what God is trying to say here. He's saying it's wicked, it's evil, it's dark. There's none righteous. Quit looking for that and start realizing that I'm going to guard your words. I'm going to cover your words. Speak words of life. Speak my scripture. Don't get caught up in the jargon. Don't get caught up in the debate. Speak my scripture. Don't get caught up in all the issues. Speak my word. Jesus, after 40 days of fasting and praying, he come out of the wilderness And who was waiting for him? The devil. And he began to tempt Jesus, knowing that he was more vulnerable now than he's ever been. And so the enemy began to tempt Jesus with all the temptations of mankind. And Jesus didn't debate him over one. What did Jesus respond? Every time. His written word says, well, I'll give you, word says, well, I promise, word says, scripture says, He never got distracted and got into the debate. He didn't get into the argument. He just stayed focused on what God had already said, knowing that God was going to cover the words that he spoke. Come on, are y'all with me right now? If he had got into the debate, he would have lost that battle because Satan will win every debate you get in. But when he spoke the word, the word became alive and God guarded it. And he spoke that. Am I saying ignore what's going on in the society? Absolutely not. But I'm saying don't miss our purpose in the middle of it. Don't miss why God has us here. He didn't call us here to stop it or fix it. He called us here to be a light in the middle of it that what the enemy has meant for evil, God is going to bring it to good. And it always happens through his people. All right. Are you with me? And so he says, another scripture, I got to finish, don't I? They said I have till 10 o'clock, is that right? Something like that? All three of us said yes. The rest of them, mm-mm. okay, I'm going to wrap up here. Love the Lord your God with all your, that's not in that scripture. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, your soul. And your mind. What's my heart? That's God conscious. My heart's God conscious. It deals with God, eternity. Love God with all my heart. Love God with all my soul. What's my soul? World conscious. It's social things, people, society. God said in the middle of that soul, you love me first. 
You love me with all your heart. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. Don't, don't get caught up in opinions. Don't get caught up in distractions. Don't, don't let your soul get caught up and distracted to where you lose your love for me. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. And love him with all your mind. What's my mind? As a man thinketh, so is he. And if my mind's more on defending my social or defending my personal or defending things that are outside of what God is doing in the spirit realm, then I've got to realize that my mind is taking me away from who God has created and called me to be. For as a man thinks, so is he. And then we lose our effectiveness of being a light in the middle of the darkness. Are you still with me? But then he goes on and says, Now understand, when you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you can then love your neighbor as yourself. So let's read on. Y'all still with me? So then we come to God's righteousness through faith. Almost done. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, say this with me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. May we never forget that. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've taught this. Pastor Brad has said it over and over and over. But what did he say there? All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, but we have been justified. We have been justified by his redemption, and redemption there means to purchase back. When God found you and I, he didn't find us on a Macy's store shelf. He didn't find us at Saks Fifth Avenue. He found you and I in a pawn shop. We were secondhand. Come on, somebody. Pawn shop, you don't find the new. You find the old. It's been scratched up. The paint's chipped off. Something's broke on it. It's lost part of its natural value. That's when God found you and I. And the Bible said he redeemed us, that we are justified through his redemptive work. He bought us back. All, come on, put it together. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. I'm screaming. I'm sorry. All of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But one day, Jesus walked into a pawn shop, wherever you were at at that moment. It was a man beside a street digging some metal out of garbage in my neighborhood this week. Wherever you were, God walked into your pawn shop. He saw you on a shelf. They had you marked down in value. But Jesus said, that one's mine. I had purpose. There's plan. It's not over. And he redeemed us. And when he redeemed us, he purchased us back. But he didn't give part value. He didn't pay part value. He didn't pay for what you were worth then. He paid for what he knew you were going to be worth. In the end, he gave his life that he could justify just as if we had never sinned. Come on, somebody, that feels good. I can sleep tonight now. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if I did something wrong, my daddy snored. 
But we, we believe in heaven and hell so bad. I mean, if you stole a pencil at school, you going to hell? You know? If you said something wrong, you're going to hell. You better repent before you go to bed. And if Jesus comes, you're going to hell. And there's times, literally, this honest God truth, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be trembling in fear like, God, if you came back, would I go to heaven? And I would go and put my ear. You know, did the rapture come? The rapture come and me to get me? And I'd go put my ear to my mom and daddy's door so I could hear my daddy snoring. If I knew daddy was in bed, the rapture hadn't come. I still hope I'm all right. <laughs> That's honest God truth. It was hundreds of those experiences. But we don't have to do that because he bought me. His redemptive work on the cross redeemed us. He purchased us back, and then he justifies us. Yes, all have sinned, and we've all come short of the glory of God, but I didn't have to come to church tonight condemned by that. I get to come in freedom because he redeemed me, he purchased me, and he justified me just as if I had never sinned. That's why I could come to an altar tonight in a dark moment of my life and breathe again. And just breathe and receive the love of our Heavenly Father. I'm wrapping up. Y'all tell Pastor Brad I was done by 7.30, all right? And God will forgive you tomorrow. Okay. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. He's redeemed us. But watch this. God set forth. Let me go back. I want to find where I was at because I want to share something with you. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a perpetuation, a replacement by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, listen to this, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When God could have brought wrath, he chose not to. When God could have brought judgment, he chose not to. He had forbearance and said, I'm going to give some time here because I know there's a redemptive work that's about to be done on the cross. I know there's going to be a time that these people that I could bring judgment against now, but my grace is so powerful and my love is so true that I'm not going to bring judgment, but I'm going to have forbearance. How many is thankful that there's been some forbearance of God in your life? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? When they disobeyed God and they took of the tree that God said not to take of, of knowledge of good and evil. There were two trees in the garden, right? What were they? The tree of knowledge, good and evil, and the tree of life. That you eat of this tree, you will never die. You know why God took Adam and Eve out of the garden? I've heard preacher after preacher say, yeah, they sinned. God kicked them out so they couldn't enjoy the pleasure of that garden. That's not why God took them out. You know why God kicked them out of the garden of Eden? Because they would have eaten from the tree of life and would have eternally been damned to their sin of separation from God and the condition they were in. He took them out of the garden so that there could be hope for their eternity. Whew. Wow. Oh, yeah, they messed up, so God just shifted them right out of there. He put them in the ghetto instead of the garden. Yeah, paybacks. No, that's not how God operates. Fathers don't do that. Fathers cover their children even in their weakest and most dreadful moments. That's when they need us the most. 
My son's 35, man. I've been calling him, checking on him every day like he's 13. He's like, Dad, I'm cool. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I know, but I want to make sure you're double cool, all right? Because I ain't pastoring this thing no more. You better come back. <laughs> I ain't doing this multi-million dollar stuff. I'm 63. You put me in that place, we're going to be in a tent in the parking lot. I can tell you that. <clears throat> no, but God didn't kick them out. He rescued them. Come on, somebody. God's not in the business of kicking you out. He's in forbearance, patience, long-suffering, because he loves us that much. I'm wrapping up for the third time. Hey, when you I don't get to do it that often, I'm sorry. All right. All right, wrap up. Here we go. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is it he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What's he saying there now? The law was needed. We're called Judeo-Christians. Why? Because we receive our teaching from the Jewish people and the Torah and the law. Now, we don't live under the law anymore. We live under, come on, pipeline, we live under grace. But without the law, we have no understanding of where we need to go to walk in grace. The law is needed. The law is required. But we don't live by the law any longer. We live by faith. In Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile now have the equal opportunity. We have all sinned. That's what he was telling them. Both Jew, Gentile, we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, we now get to stand justified as though we had never, ever sinned. Now listen to me, and I close for the fifth time, but I promise you this is the caboose. All right? Sound like a Pentecostal preacher up here, don't it? But what does that tell us? The disciples, they were being arrested because they were preaching. And they were thrown in prison because... They were told to stop preaching. And when they went to them and gave them a choice, they said, how can we but tell the good news? How can we not go out and tell what Jesus has done? For how, how, Shut us up. Can't happen. Put us in jail. We're going to start the biggest jail ministry this thing's ever seen. But you can't shut us up because we've been redeemed. We've been bought back. An ultimate price was paid for me through the life and the blood of Jesus. And I get to stand just as if I had not sinned and enjoy the benefit of the forbearance and the love and the grace of a heavenly father 
that now says, I want to take you in the midst of a world of darkness and hurt and pain and injustice and evil, and I want to let my light shine through you. And we're going to start bringing hope to one person after another, after another, after another, after another. I talked to a man here Sunday. They've been coming now since I think it's February. His family, there's eight of them in their family. He told me Sunday I had 12 new, brand new people here this past Sunday visiting with them. They've got 18 new people already coming here regular to call TC, their home church. In like two months, they're either just sharing that light, just sharing that light, sharing that light. And it's not about belonging to the church. It's about being introduced to a person called Jesus and then being connected to a body, then finding my purpose and going out and making a difference in the lives of others. And we get to be a part of that. So I want to challenge you in the sixth closing. I lied a while ago. I want to challenge you that let's don't let this thing called our Christian walk with God just be a thing we do on Sunday. Because I grew up in that. Thankfully, I had two parents that didn't believe it that way. But our Christianity was you go after Jesus and do everything you can do for him on Sunday. Have a powerful Sunday service. Run, jump, shout, sing, sling, spit, holler, whatever you got to do. But get something going with Jesus. And then our Christianity from Monday through Saturday was based on what we did not do. We didn't drink, smoke, chew, run with those who do. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't. Our Christianity had no purpose in it Monday through Saturday. It was just a Sunday experience. But it's way bigger than that. Man, Sunday's pep rally. Monday's, let's go get it. It's who can I touch for the gospel, the kingdom of God today. Stand with me.